0: Coming in hot, this is the eights of Veal podcast. I'm your host, AJC, otherwise known as Adam Cohen. I am joined by my coworker and baseball savant, Henry Winklehake. Today, we are going to be talking about the Hall of Fame. I know the Hall of Fame voting, at least, happened a couple weeks ago. But it's the Hall of Fame. It's still relevant. So, a couple weeks later, and just more information on it won't kill you guys. And it's very interesting. We have a good show today. We're going to talk about why being a Hall of Famer is so controversial, and if we will see more Udana's Hall of Famers in the future. Additionally, we'll talk about players that have specifically been kept out of the Hall of Fame, such as Pete Rose and Joe Jackson and those who took performance-enhancing drugs. Henry, we have a packed and interesting show today. How are you feeling?
1: Uh, first off, I want to say that's the beautiful thing about the Hall of Fame, Adam. It's timeless. We can discuss it whenever we want. Because they are forever enshrined in Cooperstown, or not enshrined in Cooperstown, uh, for the case of some guys. But we can discuss them, too. Otherwise, uh, I'm doing really well. I enjoyed watching the Super Bowl last night, which is kind of one more thing to check off our list until it's finally baseball season. I know you've been waiting like I have, but uh, just a couple of days until pitchers and catchers are reporting. I mean, that's exciting,
0: right? Definitely. You made a couple of very valid points there. The Hall of Fame is timeless, and anybody could always talk about it, especially with the list next year or just people who are or aren't enshrined. And, yes, when the football Super Bowl is over, it is a great feeling on baseball fans. MLB, uh, MLB's Instagram page actually took initiative, and they posted, it's our turn now.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, I saw that one. No Cubbies on there, though. As a Cubs fan, I, I felt a little bit slighted. Can't throw Javi Baez or Chris Bryan on there. Yeah,
0: and they didn't even throw judge in there. They put it in Torres out of all people. I mean Torres is great, but like I know what you mean. They should have put Brian or Baez or Rizzo or someone like that.
1: Yeah. Oh well. I guess the important part is baseball season is coming.
0: Exactly. And you're right. It is gonna be a very, very exciting year. And without further ado, let's dive in to our podcast. So, yeah Let's do it. As most people know, Marian Rivera is the first Unanimous Hall of Famer. We can all agree that other people should have been unanimous before the Sandman. Right, Henry?
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of weird when you look at the, the long and storied history of the sport that for all his greatness, I mean, that kind of implies that Mariano Rivera is the greatest player of all time, which I don't think hardly anybody is going to make that argument. I mean, no one's going to argue that he's not the best reliever of all time. Uh, but, you know, there's I'd argue there is tons of players that that should have gotten in unanimously but we will dive into that
0: yeah just to name a few off the dome babe roof ty cobb hank aaron willie mace and kofat say young etc all those guys are head and shoulders above rivera that's not to say that rivera is not deserving of the animus honor but these guys should have had that honor before he did and we could go through the entire list but that would take like five minutes because there are so so many great hall of famers that should have been unanimous. And Henry, in your review, we we and this list that we created, which is about what, 30 or so players, who are the most surprising players that had less than 90% that got into the Hall of Fame? And who are the most surprising players who didn't even receive hundred percent?
1: Yeah, I think uh going from the less than ninety threshold, right there at the top of the list, you look at Mickey Mantle. Uh, obviously one of those those storybook Yankees, great career, uh, one of the all-time wins-above-replacement leaders. I believe Mickey Mantle's top 30 in war, off the top of my head. I may be wrong about that. Still, uh, obviously a great player. Then you have other guys like uh, Sandy Koufax, who you mentioned earlier, who's a sneaky pick for me for one of the best pitchers of all time, certainly had one of the best uh periods of dominance over a span of four or five seasons of all time. Roger Hornsby is another one. Um, I'd say Bob Gibson is, is another, another big one. Joe DiMaggio. That's a, that's a couple great Yankees being slighted there. But you're our residence Yankee fan, Adam. What do you think about DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle not getting to that 90% threshold?
0: It's, it's very ridiculous. It's more ridiculous that... I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think DiMaggio did take some time off to serve in the war. Maybe, maybe thinking of Ted Williams, but I think he was out for a couple years, and that did not allow him to get into Hall of Fame. Even first ballot, it took him three years, which is even more insane. So it's honestly kind of disrespectful those two didn't get in. And just to add to your list, there are players so like Walter Johnson, who was part of the first Fabulous Five 1936 OG Hall of Fame class. For those of you who don't know, Johnson had 417 wins, the most out of lefty pitcher, 110 shutouts, nearly 6,000 innings pitched. Can you believe that 6,000 innings pitched? Pitchers can hardly get to 3,000 now, Henry.
1: That's unheard of. And I will say, this man knows his Yankees. Joe DiMaggio missed three years uh, to military service. So so well done on that note, Adam.
0: I appreciate it, Henry. I mean, I, I will say I did look up some of these stats beforehand, but nonetheless... That is kind of an old set that I heard of about DiMaggio taking a bunch of years in. And it, it is pretty insane because he's one of the greats. It's undisputed. The fact that it took him so long, long Wanda Walter Johnson, and just to add on a couple more names, Napa Jolie, Jimmy Fox, Ernie Banks, Cy Young, all of those guys didn't reach 90%, which is utterly ridiculous. And,
1: yeah, and then we look we look a step up from there at the all time greats that didn't get to a hundred percent, it's kinda equally ridiculous. So you look at Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, Ted Williams, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, like that's pretty unanimously top ten players of all time. Kinda just goes to show, I guess, the the subjectivity in and the voting block of of baseball writers that I mean, what do you gotta do to, to get a unanimous induction? Like these guys have Stat lines that are better than anybody who's ever played the game. It is ridiculous.
0: And it's very strange what, what truly went on in the voters' minds. And we will get to that in a little bit about how voter mentality has changed and why they vote the way they do. But to not give guys like Roof 100% part of the OG Hall of Fame class like Cobb, I mean, we could probably name 30 or so players that are in the Hall of Fame. That could have been unanimous and should have been unanimous.
1: Yeah, especially by the standard that that's been set within the last couple of years, which I know it's hard to to, to hold uh, today's voters, or rather the voters from early in the uh, 20th century, to the standards of today's voters. But just the context being added by Rivera being unanimous and then Jeter being one show or one vote shy, I should say, that just it really paints a sharp contrast to, to those all time legends that didn't get that kind of love that pretty uh, objectively had better careers. Mm
0: -hmm. And it's funny because you sound kind of like one of those old timey baseball writers association voters who says, I don't think anyone should be unanimous, but, but really really, I, I understand what you're saying and how there should have been players before Jeter. And it's weird how that president precedent, excuse me, is happening now. And it's it's very strange because Jeter's not the best shortstop of all time. Mario Rivera's not the best pitcher of all time. I might even go as far to say he he's a great closer. He's one of the best closers. He is the best one-inning closer of all time. But he might not even be the best full-out closer of all time. And it could be a hot take. You...
1: You Yankees fan, Adam does not think Mariano Rivera is the best closer
0: of all time. Well, I'm more playing devil's advocate, but let's hear from you first before I get into it. Where does Mariano rank him on closers, among starting pitchers in general, and where does Jeter rank him on position players, even shortstops? For me,
1: Rivera is is the best closer of all time. I, yeah, I mean, you got Dennis Eckersley, you got Trevor Hoffman. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I'm leaving a couple off here. I think the Rivera's at the top of my list just for what he was able to accomplish with his consistency, and especially you look at the postseason success. Granted, you know, you could say that's more about the Yankees giving him all those leads in the ninth inning, but still, he was so automatic when he did get that chance, and I think it's really tough to to rank a closer uh, among the best pitchers of all time, I mean, In my opinion, I think a starting pitcher just has such a greater impact on a game when especially, you know, guys back in the old days that are throwing nine innings a game every single time out there. That's just a lot more value to me than even the best of all time at throwing that one inning. Uh, And as far as ranking Jeter among batters, that, I think he's not super high up on my all-time list. And, And I will admit that Sometimes I can be a little bit of a Jeter hater, all while appreciating the greatness. Obviously, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the best players of our generation. But you look at the all-time wins-above-replacement leaderboards, and Jeter is 88th. And, you know, that's, that's good. That's Hall of Fame, but that's not unanimous to me. And that's that's not a slam-dunk, you know, all-time legend, in my opinion. But I'm a hater.
0: Well, it's good to hear the other side, the non-Yankees fan side, of this whole debate. And honestly, I agree with you on both points. Listen, I was more trying to say Rivera was not the best closer of all time because of like devil's advocate. But there was a little bit of a point that I was getting at. It's hard to compare. It's very hard to compare closers to starting pitchers. And yes, I do agree with you. Rivera is not even close to starting pitchers like Matthewson or Walter Johnson or Randy Johnson or Sion or any of those legendary starting pitchers. And even guys like Wilhelm and Gossage and Eckersley, those kind of big pioneer three of the closer role, they pitched three innings every time out. And I certainly believe that Rivera could probably have been like the best out of those group to throw multiple innings. And he did so various times, especially – in the 97 season when he took over the closer role from John Wetland, and he pitched multiple innings in the playoffs, especially how he did just fine in that role. But it's hard to compare the best one-inning reliever to the best two- or three-inning relievers because it's a bit of a different statistic, and all those guys, Wilhelm Gossage and eckersley were all very, very dominant in their own right. And then you go to Jeter, and there's no way he's even close to guys like Musial or Cobb, or Garrick or DiMaggio but in terms of shortstops he's at least a top 10 shortstop of all time in my opinion sure he's not as good as Hodas Wadner or Robin Yount even or Cal Ripken and certainly not Arod, rod which is also a big heavy debate but he's he's up there at least in terms of shortstops I would say what do you think Henry no no doubt
1: yeah he's a for sure top 10 shortstop It's kind of crazy, though. You look back at the history of the game and how weak historically of a position shortstop has been offensively, and, you know, it makes sense that that's typically the best defender on the field, if not one of the best, uh, to where maybe guys are specializing a little bit more and not necessarily going to be those huge statistic line hitters. Uh, But, you know, in the history of the game, you're, you're telling me the best offensive shortstop is, I mean... Maybe Honus Honus Wagner, but Cal Ripken's up there. It's just, it's just surprising to me that there's not better uh, stat lines when you look at those guys. But I'm probably biased because you look at the environment that we play in now, and you have your Trevor Stories, your Alex Bregmans, Javi Baez, Carlos Correa. It seems now that like every shortstop in the league is is a shoe in for thirty homers every year. Even even you look back a couple of years, Troy tulowitzki Hanley Ramirez. A rod, even that, uh, you know, we're we're kind of in the era of slugging shortstops to where it really sticks out against the history of the game.
0: That's a great point you mentioned, and I and I was actually about to mention that too. So that's cool that we're having the same wavelength. And you're right, they're really in the 2000s. There's been a lot of shortstops, and just to add one more, Miguel Tejada too. And yes, he took PDS. Oh. Oh, but yeah. he was a 40 homer shortstop as well, and Ripken kind of started that whole chain. You go way back to the 50s where Banks was hitting 40 homers from the shortstop position, but but Ripken was kind of this big shortstop that paved the way for Jeter and Arod and Garcia Parra, and now players and Giants like Corey Seager and Carlos Correa and Xander Bogarts who are 6'3", three and good defensive shortstops and good offensive contributors as well. So the game has certainly changed. Uh, for the shortstop position which is pretty bizarre
1: it is and you know that's that's another a point to Jeter's legacy is the impact that he's had in kind of reshaping the game reshaping that position and that you know even you look he doesn't have the most eye-popping statistics of all time but i think his impact goes far beyond what he was able to do statistically just the cultural impact that he's had for the game and I think a big part of that, too, is just the way that he always played the game the right way. He was never getting in any trouble or controversy or anything. And that really, you know, sticking out against the backdrop of the the steroid era, I think that was a player that baseball desperately needed. And Derek Jeter kind of went a long way in helping to restore confidence in the game.
0: He certainly was the face of baseball for a large part of his career and... I'm going to get slightly political here. I really don't want to do that too much in these podcasts, but I, That's yeah, an it's year, year. why not? But my, <laughs> my stepmom was telling me that Jeter was, is this guy who's half African-American, half white. And he kind of was someone that everyone could root behind, especially in the nineties, since Jeter faced his own type of racism growing up. And he was, the perfect guy, not only in terms of um, race relations and not only in terms of post-steroid era and during the steroid era, but he was just kind of the perfect fit also in New York too in a variety of aspects as well.
1: Yeah, I think that really speaks to you know who he was as a person and as a player that he was able to succeed in that the biggest stage in all of sports, New York, where the media eats everybody alive, and he thrived in it. He loved it. He embraced it. And he was able to win. I guess winning is has a big part of uh, winning over that New York media. But, you know, that's, that's not an easy place to play. As you see Giancarlo Stanton getting booed. Uh, maybe he deserved it. He's, he's awfully fragile. That, that's a talk for another podcast. But, you know, moving on, I think you made some great points there, Adam. But uh, to keep moving along. Um, so we see more and more players today getting close to being unanimous. Derek Jeter, of course, falling just one vote shy. Mariano Rivera getting all the way there. So that brings up the question is why are so many of these players not unanimous when we look back in historical uh, historical context, rather? You know, what's changed with the voting block to where, uh, you know, why are why are people getting closer now than they ever have before?
0: Well, at least if you go back to the very beginning. I mean, first year nineteen thirty six. I, I don't think the writers really knew what exactly they were doing. And they there were so many great players then. Like for example, Walter Johnson, Christy Matheson were are just seen as the greatest some of the greatest pitchers of all time, but back then there were a lot of pitchers that threw a lot of innings and were kind of near the same level as them. So maybe that was the reason why to take percentages down. But even then, take 16% of voting away from Walter Johnson, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Or have Roof not be unanimous when he basically ended the Deadpool era, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So it's weird what exactly they were thinking, but I do believe I have a better answer on how they are now. I think with... Just over the years, they've started to accept that, okay, well, we don't want anyone to be unanimous yet until Rivera, but we want guys to be close, and if we see someone that we want to have on the list that's probably not going to get as many votes, we'll put them in instead, and maybe that's kind of always been the mentality, but it's, it's very strange. It's not like the players today are so much better than the players in the past I think the players today are, are smarter than the ones in the past. They take care of their bodies more, they're bigger, they're stronger, they throw harder. But those guys are worth horses, so it's a very different game. So it's not really in terms of talent, I would say. It's probably just the mentality of the guys who are voting these players in. What do you think, Henry?
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I would say that I think right now, uh, at this moment, the game is being played at a higher level than it ever has before. I think your your average player in today's MLB is, is probably a lot stronger than your average player in, say, 1930. But I think at the top, the, the stars of the game uh, back in the day are every bit as talented as the guys we have now. Uh, if I can borrow a quote, I don't know if, if you're an office guy, uh, <laughs> but Andy Bernard said, I wish there was a way to know we were in the good old days before we left them. <laughs> maybe there's a little bit of that going on, that the, the old riders back in the day didn't know just how great uh, the, what they were witnessing was, because I guess they didn't really have the context to compare it to. They didn't know that Babe Ruth would be considered one of the greatest players of all time, definitely a top five hitter. You know, maybe they didn't, even later on, you look at Hank Aaron and Willie Mays to where I guess they just kind of thought that maybe there's more greatness down the road to come. And they were certainly right if that was the thinking. And we have our Mike Trouts, our A-Rides uh, of this era. But, yeah, I mean, really, I think it all comes down to just it's, it's a subjective process that I guess a Hall of Famer is not a, a uniform concept to every writer. And it's there's not necessarily an established Set of rules like you must vote this guy Hall of Famer if he gets four thousand hits or two thousand RBIs or you know there's not a, a standardized process, not a one size fits all Hall of Famer to where it gives uh, the room for this variation to where guys that probably do deserve to be unanimous uh, haven't haven't ended up mm-hmm. that way.
0: That that office quote, by the way, was so perfectly placed. <laughs> And I'm a huge fan (laughs) of the office, so that was great to hear. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you. I'm glad you appreciated that. That was great. But just to add on to what you were saying, there is so much ambiguity with the Hall of Fame. They used to say 250 wins and you are shooing the Hall of Fame, but then they keep guys like Jack Morris and Burt Byleth and out the Hall of Fame because they have a high ERA. So what is it? And now almost no one will get 250 wins, so they have to adjust that. Kind of milestone, or they used to say, well, 400 or 500 homers is hard, but now, of all the power hitters, that might not be so difficult in now or even 10, 15 years. So the milestones always change, and there's no kind of clear list of how these voters think, and they're all different, they all have their individual rubric and ideas, but In that manner, it's very tough to tell how they think and how they've changed over the years. But moving on a bit to some specific Hall of Fame caliber players, guys like Pete Rose and Shoeless Joe Jackson, and none of these guys really did as bad. You maybe could say Joe Jackson, but even him, he wasn't as involved as ever players in the scandal, and actually... I got to meet someone who wrote a book on the scandal. Named, his name's Charles Fountain. He wrote this great book about the 1919 Black Sox scandal. Really, really great book. You guys should look it up if, if you have the chance. Very, very informative. Got to meet him in person several times. Really nice guy. But all of these players had waivers that said if we testify, it's kind of like the Astros, we won't be at fault here, we won't be banned. But they lost those. Waivers, all of them did evidently, which is very straight crazy. So, imagine all these Astros players just losing their rights to, hey, we won't be acquitted here. Isn't that crazy?
1: That is crazy. Um, that you know, it's kind of refreshing, I guess, to hear that uh, corruption in the game is, is not a new thing. It is uh, an age-old story that that's been retold time and time again, whether it be the Black Sox scandal or steroids, stealing signs. Uh, People cheat, and that that really sucks. Um, You know, I think that if. I'll go to Pete Rose. If Pete Rose hadn't done what he did, then he's a slam dunk Hall of Famer, no argument. He's the hit king, right? But, Mm -hmm. I I mean, you know, it makes you wonder would he be unanimous? Because based on the historical evidence of all the players that weren't unanimous, he, he probably wouldn't be. But.
0: Yeah, he probably – Sorry. No, no, I
1: I was done. You go ahead, Adam.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yeah, he would definitely probably get low to mid-90s or so. Someone would keep him out for whatever God knows reason. But he would probably be kept out. And we've talked about this in the past on this Unexed podcast, but these guys might actually have a chance in a couple years. They have a chance to build in their case because the Astros players just got away. Everything they did – and players like Jatson too. Jatson wouldn't be unanimous by any means. He managed to not cracked 90%, but he's still at a three fifty-six per batting average. He has 60.5 F4 in 13 years. He didn't have, like, the raw stats to maybe get 90%, but he was on his way to, like, 400 steals, 3,000 hits, 1,500 runs in RBIs. So he could have been a slam dunk Hall of Famer, too. Maybe not 100%, but he would have been a very nice pick as well.
1: Yeah, I got to admit, Adam, I when I looked at Shoeless Joe's baseball reference page, I immediately glanced at the 54 home runs and started to to discredit him. But you got to remember, too, that's an era thing. That's, that's before home runs were really a big part of the game. And it was more high average, slap the ball, and Shoeless Joe appeared to be as good at that skill set as anybody in the game.
0: Mm-hmm, exactly. And – Guys at the time, they really wouldn't hit that many home runs or right. So they actually, I think there was a season where Ty Cobb led his league in home runs with nine or so. And they're all inside the park home runs. And when Jackson was playing the dead ball, era was just about to end. And his last year, he had a career-high 14 homers. So maybe he could have adjusted to the smaller ball parts and the end of the spitter as well. So his Hall of Fame legacy just got cut short by corruption. But it's a lot of
1: factors there. It's, you may, you bring up you bring up a good point about the ballparks too. Is I remember one of the baseball games video games I played growing up where you could play in, in all the different <laughs> ballparks you could play at the polo grounds and it's like 500 something feet to center field like how are guys gonna get a home run in that environment? It's just the game really looks a lot different on you you touched on it too, the ball is different and just the way the guys are approaching it, not just based on their own uh, skill sets, but rather the environment that they're in, that changes everything.
0: Exactly. Not only has the environment for the players changed, the environment for the voters has changed too. It's pretty bizarre that baseball has changed this much over the course of its history, even though you still pitch the ball hard. You try to strike out the hitters, try to limit them to weak contact. The batters hit the ball, just to put it in very simple terms, but so much change has happened. Especially in the last 10 years, the strikeout and home run rate, and people not caring about batting average anymore, which is a whole other conversation. But looking at the greats today, who are the current Hall of Famers in the game today, and who will have a shot at a unanimous ballot, in your opinion, Henry?
1: Yeah, I think the first name that comes to mind, uh, as far as players still playing, would be Mike Trout. You know, but he, mm-hmm. you'd think that. Hopefully the baseball writers can, can recognize the greatness because it's kind of sad. Just the average sports fan, maybe not necessarily a baseball fan, might not even have any idea who Mike Trout is. He's the quiet superstar who's, who's not flashy, who's not talking a lot in the media, but he's just going to work every day and hammering baseballs. And he's been the best player in the game for upwards of five years now. And, what, he's hes still, I want to say, 30-ish? Not exactly sure how old Trout is. But, you know, he keeps playing like this. I sure think that he would be a unanimous Hall of Famer. Uh, Clayton Kershaw is one of my favorite players of all time. And I would love, love, love for him to be unanimous. Uh, he's certainly one of the best regular season pitchers of all time. But, you know, the postseason, it's just heartbreaking, man, year after year. And maybe sign-stealing had a, had a big part to do with that in 2017, but there uh, didn't appear to be any sign-stealing going on this year when, when Kershaw blew it again, and I just hate to see it. And he's, he's so sad sitting in the dugout with his head down. And it's crazy how such a great pitcher – sorry, I'm getting on a tangent here, but – I love Kershaw, and he'll be a Hall of Famer, but I don't think he'll be unanimous for that reason. Uh, but Albert Pujols probably, I mean, if, if Derek Jeter is one vote shy, Albert Pujols should 100% be unanimous. What about you, Adam? Who are, who are a couple of the, the greats of this era who you think should get in? Sorry if I if I picked off the top line there.
0: No, that was a great, great tangent about Kershaw. It, it's, it's really funny because – since I'm in school right now, I'll mention this. But when a teacher goes on a tangent in class, everyone gets excited because we don't have to do work. But when <laughs> when a baseball fan goes off on a tangent and just makes a great point and gives great references, it's even better because it's just relatable and it's fun. So that was a great tangent that Kershaw. And just to answer your question, yes, Trout, Kershaw pools, all should get in. Kershaw probably won't get 100%. Just because of all those games he blew, actually in 2017, in the World Series at least, he had a very, very different home and road split against the Astros, which is very indicative, but you think about 2018, you think about 2019, all those other years, so it's not just a sign-stealing at that point. And just to add a couple more names, Cabrera should be a shoe-in, has a great chance at 100%, and other players who should be Hall of Famers are Verlander and Scherzer, and Current young players like DeGrom, Lindor, Bellinger, Tuve, Kendo, and Betts, they won't be 100% probably, but they they all have a shot again in the Hall of Fame too. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I'd say, I mean, the young guys got to keep on pace with, with what they've done so far. Uh, but, you know, Cabrera, Verlander for sure. Scherzer will be a Hall of Famer. Um, but I got an interesting one to hit you with. Because I, I being in Louisville, Kentucky, I know a lot of Reds fans and they love to tell me how Joey Votto is a first ballot Hall of Famer. What says you, Adam?
0: Well, Votto is one of, has one of the best eyes in the game since he's played. And he also won MVP and he's a perennial all-star and just pretty much the leader in the Reds team. That alone definitely helps his case. But it's interesting, and I'll, I'll go to his stats a bit now, too, but I don't think he has the best kind of round numbers for his stats. And he's starting to lose time a bit because he's, what, in his mid-30s now. I think he's 34 or 35, and he's starting to lo-
1: He'll be 36 oh, wow. next season. No,
0: actually, uh, he's 36 now, which is bizarre. Yeah, so he's oh, really yeah. getting up there. He doesn't have too much longer. He'll probably play out his contract that goes to, what, 2023 20, and that's it. So, but, yeah, looking at these round numbers, he's definitely up there. I mean, he has the very indicative 300, 400, 500 split, where they have a 300 batting average, 400 on base percentage, 500 slicking percentage, and he, he goes above and beyond with that mark, which is impressive. He'll get 300 homers. He'll get 1,000 runs in RBIs, but it's not – some of the stats, because probably he's walked so much, aren't as impressive. Uh, let's see what else he has. He has just under 2000 hits right now, so he won't have too, too much over. So some of those hall of fame stickers that really love the round, round numbers will probably take some hit away from Votto, but he should be a hall of famer eventually, but I wouldn't say first ballot by just the round numbers and milestones measurement. What do you think?
1: I would agree. I agree with everything you said. I think that the resume ultimately will be there. I don't think he's a slam dunk first ballot Hall of Famer, but, you know, he was an MVP. He was at the top of the game for a period and has the best eye in the game, as you mentioned. Um, but, yeah, I mean, not the not really much of a power hitter, just shy of 300 career homers as it is now. But it's, it's kind of scary. It looks like the skills are eroding quickly for Votto. Uh, he was pretty awful last year, which... He's going to have a chance to bounce back. He's still, I mean, 36 is getting there, but he'll have a couple more years if he if he wants to stick it out. And it's a pretty good ballpark to hit in. I'm sure Votto can, can flip the switch and get that batting average back up to around his career 300 mark. Uh, but I think he ultimately will end up getting in the Hall of Fame, just probably not first ballot like you said, Adam.
0: Yeah, he can definitely get in fifth year or, or something like that. But it's also tough for Votto now because he, he's not the type of guy who can hit 30 homers anymore, and that's starting to be the new 20-homer at norm. And if he can just keep hitting around 300 a 400 on base percentage and just rack up some hits, that, that can definitely help him out a bit. But moving on to future – just and going on the same discussion of future Hall of Famers, let's talk a little bit about the 2021 new Hall of Fame class. There are pitchers like Tim Hudson, who's a 222 game winner, 3.49 ERA, threw over 3,000 innings pitched. Burley, also a 200 plus game winner, also threw 3,000 innings pitched. You got Torrey Hunter in there, who had 353 homers, five time All Star, nine nine time Gold Glove Award winner, and then other new Hall of Fame. Eligible players such as Barry Zito, Jane Fitzgerino, Grady Sizemore, Dan Heron, AJ Burnett, Erasmus Mariras, and, <clears throat> excuse me, knowing all this information about these guys, are there any new eligible players that you want to get in? And will any of them actually get in?
1: I don't see any of them getting in next year as first ballot. I, I mean, I think I like Tim Hudson, but you get after him on that list and it's, it's not very inspiring. I mean, Mark Burley won the World Series with the White Sox, was very dependable for, for several years, but what, he finishes with a three eight one ERA in his career? It's not exactly jumping off the page Cooperstown worthy. I mean, Torrey Hunter, it's a guy, you know, we grew up watching and loved his game, but in comparison to, to some of the historical great careers that we've seen, I don't know if any of these guys are, are surefire Hall of Famers. I, I tend to lean much more uh, in favor of the holdover guys like Scott Rowland and Todd Elton, two I'd love to see get in. Uh, and it looks like that Kurt Schilling will get there as well, probably next year, in my opinion. But uh, what about you, Adam? Of the new guys, do you think there's any, any surefire Hall of Famers or guys that you think will get there eventually?
0: Certainly not surefire Hall of Famers, but Hudson is definitely an intriguing one. Burley, not so much. Usually when you have an ERA that high, you have to be a Mike Mussina or a Jack Morris and just be this ultimate 251 war horse throughout, his entire, throughout their entire career. He's not that guy. I actually do like Hunter. And I think he's very similar to Votto, but just as an outfielder. Sorry, not Votto. Roland, excuse me. Because Roland won a bunch of gold gloves, had 300-plus homers, pretty decent hitter, pretty decent glove. Roland's starting to get some more love. He might end up at the Hall of Fame eventually. So if Roland can get in, by that logic, Hunter should get in. So knowing that, and even maybe Erasmus Ramirez a little bit, people forget that Ramirez had – 300 plus homers as well. I don't think Ramirez compares as much as Hunter because he was just kind of more power guy, and that's it. But just knowing that about Hunter in comparison to Rowan, do you think that if Rowan gets him, that Hunter should in too?
1: Yeah, I think that it always helps when players that have similar profiles to you end up getting in. Uh, I, I do want to apologize too to Ramos Ramirez if you're listening to this. Uh, I'm sorry, Aramis. I loved you watching you play. You and Derek Lee growing up, Kerry Wood, Mark Pryor. You guys made me fall in love with the Cubs. So I'm sorry I left you out when I was talking about the next year's Hall of Fame class. I'll be rooting for you, Aramis, but I'm not sure the numbers are quite there. Uh, but, yeah, going back to your Tory Hunter point that <laughs> if uh, if Scott Rowling gets in, I think that does give Hunter a boost. And, yeah, I, you know, even just answering that question initially when I looked at the looked at the list. I did ignore defense. I am, uh, I guess I'm that era of millennial voter who is just all infatuated with the home run and not really looking at the, at the big picture. I don't know if that's necessarily a millennial thing, but yeah, I, you know, I think there is a place for, for defense in the hall and, and the best of the best could do it both. And I think Scott Rowland, at least does have the offensive numbers to get him there as well. Um, but, I honestly – I'd have to take a deeper dive into uh, Hunter's numbers to give you a more definitive answer.
0: Yeah, I can actually provide a little bit of it just to stay on the same topic. And I'm sure Erasmus Ramirez, by the way, if he does end up listening to this, hopefully he he can, he can forgive you. And it's our job as podcasters, <laughs> as baseball fans, baseball analysts, we have to – Take these stats and take these players for who they are, what their career is. So, even though I love guys like Andy Pettit, do I really think he deserves in the Hall of Fame? Not so much, but do I hope he gets in the Hall of Fame? Sure. But just going back to Hunter, just to hit hard a little bit harder on that point before moving on to just the class as a whole. Hunter had a 277 batting average, 331 on base percentage, 461 slugging percentage, so decent hitter, 353 homers, 1,391 RBIs, 1,296 runs, 5-time All-Star, 2-time Silver Slugger, 9-time Gold Glove Award winner. Some of these stats jump out at you. Does this make you kind of appreciate Hunter a bit more? And by that logic, is he kind of a similar comp to Roland still?
1: Yeah, that's kind of about what I thought. It's, it's okay. not – you know, jumping off the page at me. It's certainly respectable, and I think there's a case to be made. I'm not saying I would be shocked if he makes it, but I wouldn't be shocked if he doesn't make it, if that makes sense.
0: That, make, that does make sense, and it's a very fair point. But going along with the holdover Hall of Famers, do you think in just the Hall of Fame class as a whole, do you think Chilling is the only one who's going to get in in 2021?
1: I do. That would be my prediction, that just shilling. I think, you know, obviously we're going to see some more jumps in the holdovers. That, that just tends to happen that way. They trend upwards over time. Um, we probably don't have time to get into it tonight, but I hopefully, I don't want to see any of the steroid guys in. I know you might feel a little bit differently about that, uh, but to uh, to leave it at the, uh, at the question you asked, I don't think any of the new guys get in my prediction would be just Schilling. Do you feel the same way?
0: I do feel the same way. Schilling is the closest bet and doesn't seem like the writers are really too keen on letting Schilling, sorry, Clemens and Bonds anytime soon. We can talk a little bit about steroids. I remember Q, who's not on our podcast tonight, unfortunately, he said uh, he just put, he basically wrote our outline tonight. He said that we can just go a bit, uh, talk a little bit more. Make this a little bit longer than our usual podcast, a so thirty to forty-five minutes. If that's all right with you, Henry. All right,
1: that works for me. Okay, that's perfect. Yeah,
0: and I think people do want to hear that steroids debate, and I do think we also have different opinions on this, which is not, which is good because we have we agree on a lot of the same stuff that we've been talking about tonight. Yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. So there's this great article on the Back <laughs> Sports Page website, and I believe we all read it, and. That that being, like, Ryan and Q and you and me. And baseball players for the longest time, pretty much since its birth, its origin, have found ways to get head and shoulders about the competition. Greenies, also known as amphetamines, people like Babe Roof, going Mays, they took it. No one cared. And the steroid era, I mean, yes, it happened. It's terrible. It's more public. It's more blatant. But at this point, it's just... It's just there. Guys like Bagwell and Piazza are in the Hall of Fame. And Schilling is in the Hall of Fame. Sorry, Selig is in the Hall of Fame. And he was the one who oversaw everything. So I wouldn't put these guys above players who are deserving. Like, I would put Roland and Helton and Schilling above a bunch of these steroid guys and let them kind of be the last man standing if there's a availability. But PEDs have always been part of baseball, and they, by baseball's law, didn't do anything wrong. People who even take it today, serve suspension, they're done. They're fine in terms of baseball standards. They're not banned from the game. So, just thinking that logic, I think PED players should be in the Hall of Fame. What do you think, Henry?
1: No, I totally get where you're coming from, and I get the argument that cheating is cheating is cheating. Uh, But a couple points that I would like to make to counter is that I don't think that the the greenies is is quite the same as taking HGH. You know, you don't see the same kind of body transformation where Barry Bonds' head grows two sizes or twice as big, I should say. I don't think that had quite uh, the same effect on, you know, just the guy's raw power ability, raw strength. Uh, and as well as uh, from the standpoint of being able to uh, withstand injuries and, and rehab quicker, or sorry, uh, to not get injured as much, I should say. I think it was definitely more of a transformative effect with uh, with the steroid era, your Mark McGuire's, Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa's, uh, that, you know, and maybe Greenies, uh, I'm probably downplaying their effect a little bit, but my understanding is that's kind of just increasing alertness, making them really, really wired. And that, you know, I'm sure that has an impact on hand-eye coordination as well. But I just, you know, I think it really is is awful to see like Hank Aaron's home run record get broken in a tainted way by Barry Bonds. And my second point that I'd like to make is that I don't think that letting more cheaters in the Hall of Fame should be the answer. I think – you know, we can acknowledge that there has been mistakes made in the past probably with guys who shouldn't have gotten in, being let in, who may have been taking some of these greenies or, or other substances. But, you know, I think we have to, I guess I'm saying we is like I'm a, a baseball writer. But if I was a baseball writer, uh, well, I am a baseball writer, but I'm not a voter. Uh, but, I f you know, I think that we owe it to the guys that did it the right way. You're Derek Jeter's. That you know that we try and keep the hall pure, and that when we know for certain, we know before voting that these guys cheated, that we do everything we can to make sure that they don't get in and further taint the hall.
0: I understand purity. It still really is fortunate because I would love a pure hall, but these players were so dumb and so part of the game, and they still spend a vast majority of their career non-Peds, and Peds are still part of the game. I, I understand. Where you're getting at that, they shouldn't have the honor to get in the Hall of Fame, especially by all the careers, all the money they've earned from PEDs. But the intent was the same back then, the intent the same now. Yes, PEDs are definitely more obvious. You don't see Roger Clemens' roid rage bat throwing incident at Piazza (laughs) if he's not on steroids. I mean, that doesn't happen with Greenies, I believe. So. There's definitely something different, but the intent was the same. Maze and Roof, the intent was the same to get better, to do something that they know was not moral, not correct, and they still did it. And there's evidence that shows a vast majority of players in the 70s took greenies, so everyone was doing that. It's the same case for PEDs. Everyone was taking PEDs. It was all around. There was nothing against it. I'm not saying to be bypassed, but... And they should definitely holdovers or just take a while to end the Hall of Fame. But it's a part of the history. So at this point, we can agree to disagree about that.
1: Yeah, and it's tough to say, like, which form of cheating are we going to be tougher on? And, you know, I guess to this point or at this point, it, it looks like steroids are getting the short end of that stick. But, you know, yeah, cheating is cheating. You make a good point in that. I think that leads us right into our... Our next segment. It wouldn't be a baseball podcast if we didn't talk about the Houston Astros stealing uh, stealing signs. Excuse me. So you know how does that impact the legacies of you know Alex Bregman, uh, Jose Altuve, maybe even Justin Verlander? Obviously, he wasn't in the batter's box uh, benefiting from that, but he gets his only World Series from a team that now has this tainted record. You know how does that
0: impact them, Adam? Well, it certainly doesn't help their case. It doesn't seem like it's being taken as seriously as PEDs or held to that regard just because all these guys, all these players are getting away with what they did. But the voters will think differently. They'll take into account that these, all these players committed a heinous act and it's going to affect them. People like How Toove, they take a sure Hall of Famer, might not be first ballot now. People like Alex Bregman, who's well on his way to being a star player, already is at a star caliber uh already is a star, star caliber player he might not be a shoe and if he keeps up the success so it looks like these guys still like it and but careers like Beltron that could be over for him because Beltron was already a borderline hall of Famer, so that could be over for Beltron which is really upsetting because everyone loves Beltron until this scandal happened what do you think Henry
1: yeah, I think that's a really interesting point that I, I was thinking more, you know, from the from the players' perspective, which I guess, yeah, Beltron was a player in twenty seventeen still, too. That's wild to me, but very much that could be the nail in the coffin for him. You make a great point, a guy whose whose resume was borderline already, to where you add that to the mix, that's gonna be at the forefront of voters' minds. And he has the disadvantage too of to where he would be eligible much sooner than say Altuve, certainly Bregman, to where that's fresh on the mind of voters. It's not gonna be 20 years from now, or maybe this thing's blown over a little bit. I think if I had to predict now, I'd say Beltron doesn't get in.
0: I agree with you. So in that regard, we can both agree that borderline players such as Beltron on this list probably won't get in now, but sure things like Altuve and possibly Bregman too. They'll probably eventually get in, but it can stop them from being a first ballot for sure.
1: Absolutely. Not say Verlander still gets in as well. But, you know, maybe he's not a first ballot now where he would have been before.
0: That's true. I didn't even think about Verlander, but you're right. Everyone was kind of happy that Verlander had re- this rejuvenated career. And that can definitely overlook what the scandal that he was a part of. But he can definitely be affected by it too, and he certainly will be. And it'll be interesting to see what his percentage will be in the first year. How long it will take him to get in. That will be – and that's going to be soon. That's going to be next 10, 15 years or so. Yeah,
1: I think the question now becomes is Mike Fires a first ballot Hall of Famer. (laughs) Uh,
0: Just to make sure, are you serious or not serious about that?
1: Uh, No, I'm messing with you. But, you know, I think it took a lot of guts to do what he did on a serious note. Mike Fires, he did throw uh, a no-hitter last year. People forget about that and – what was an otherwise somewhat lackluster season. But, yeah, he uh, he probably won't be sniffing Cooperstown and certainly has not made a whole lot of friends across baseball with his actions.
0: Yeah, I just had to clarify because that be, I, I, I know you know your stuff, so I was just like, all right, he has to be, he has to be uh, <laughs> pushing me a bit. But that, it's all good. And, yeah, he's actually a decent pitcher, and he's definitely the whistleblower here. And sure, all those Astros players in the happy outspora <laughs> It's not happy. Beltron's not happy about that. And it's funny how he kinda gets away scot-free. He was the one who admitted it. And then it is also funny how like commentators like Jessica Mendoza are saying like, oh it's it's awful that he admitted this, even though it did take guts nonetheless. So it's very weird with fires.
1: Yeah, and it is a weird dynamic to where I mean, you. I feel like he did the right thing. I mean, maybe not initially and in trying to do more to stop it when it was actually happening. I'm happy that the events came to light. Maybe he didn't go about that the correct way. Is I think a lot of the the argument that maybe that should have been handled internally within the league instead of going to the athletic with that report. But you know, ultimately, I'm kind of just happy that the, the cheating got exposed. However, it had to happen and hopefully Mike Fiers gets a shot to pitch in the big leagues again. You know, like we said, he's he's not a Hall of Famer, but he's a serviceable pitcher and I'd like to see him still have a place in the league.
0: I still think he's on the A's team. I'll I'll double check that right now.
1: I thought he was a free agent. I may be mistaken.
0: Yeah, let me let me double check that. Oh, he's yeah, he has one more committed well, to the A's, Adam, which is good. So we'll okay. still get to see fires. He's going to be able to throw his third no-hitter this year. That would be that'd be something else. But beyond PDs, beyond sign stealing, good thing about the all-time greats, your all-time great team. So every position, give me your five starting pitchers and your closer. What would your team look like? Oh, man. I'm putting on the spot right now, I know. Yeah,
1: I, I should have prepared for this one a little coming in. I can give you a couple at least. I'll start with starting pitchers, and I alluded to it earlier in the podcast. Sandy Koufax is my guy, <laughs> and he had a career cut short by injury, suffered from chronic arthritis in his pitching arm. And that was back in the day where they didn't really do uh, surgery, Tommy Johns or anything like that. So where he did have to hang it up, but he had one of the most dominant four-year stretches in all of baseball. I believe he was under a two ERA for a period of four years straight and then had three Cy Youngs in that period, one MVP. He was over 350 strikeouts twice in that span. Sandy Koufax, one of the all-time great pitchers and really had his career cut short tragically, still a Hall of Famer. But I think he would place much higher up in the in the all time list had he not had that uh had his career cut short by that arthritis. Now now how do you want to do this, Adam? Are we gonna trade off picks or do you want me to, to to rattle mine off in a row here?
0: Sure. Why don't you rattle yours off? I think you already had a great start with Kofat says you're de facto ace, but yeah, just rattling them off.
1: All right. Well, I'll go with big Randy Johnson uh, as my second pitcher in the rotation, probably the first time that he's ever not been uh, the ace on the squad. And maybe he still is, but, you know, I'm pitching him game two here. Uh, the numbers st- speak for themselves uh, with Randy, the, one of the greatest strikeout pitchers of all time, 300 wins, one dead bird at least, perhaps more, hard to say. Uh, but moving on, just for the sake of, of time, I'll go Greg Maddox as well. Arguably one of the best control pitchers of all time. And, uh, you know, I had to have a Chicago Cub on my list, of course. Um, I don't, you know, I think going first has giving me a huge advantage here. I, I got to leave something for you, but I know you love Walter Johnson. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and steal him, put him on my, uh, in my rotation. I'll let you pick first for, for the next position. And then... Sure, that's... I that's would, a
0: very solid rotation.
1: Thank you. Rounding out my top five, uh, whatever, we'll go Pedro Martinez. That's not a bad number five, right?
0: Certainly isn't. That's, that's <laughs> a solid rotation. I'd be just fine if I were to own a major league team that had that type of rotation. I'm sure any big league manager would not attest to that. So the only changes I would say is just input Walter Johnson and Cy Young in there. To me, Johnson is just the most dominant pitcher ever. I think Kofax is very close. Kofax is better over the his span, but Johnson played longer, and he was just one of those old-timey workhorses that everyone loves. Matt's a great choice in there, but I would say the most recent one that I'd probably allow in is someone like Randy Johnson. So just to round up the rotation beat, Walter Johnson, Sandy Koufax, Christy Matheson, Cy Young, and Randy Johnson. So you went more new school. I went more old school. But we can't go wrong with our starting pitchers here. But let me hear your lineup, though.
1: All right. Uh, well, I'll start off first base. Uh, I'm not going to necessarily do a batting order here. Um, if he played a little outfield, too. But I'll go ahead and go stand the man, Musial. A uh, great, great resume, career 331 hitter, three-time MVP. It's a little more old school for you. Uh, maybe not one of the better, I mean, 475 home runs, and I'm talking about him getting ready to say he's not a great power hitter, which I guess when you look at some of the other guys that we're going to have on this list, maybe he was, he was outworked in that category. But, you know, 330 hitter, that speaks for itself. Uh, second base, I'm going to go ahead and you know shorter career maybe not quite the the number resume i go Jackie robinson not only for his impact on the field but for the obviously the barriers that he was able to break the doors that he was able to open and ultimately how much good he did for for not just our country but for the game of baseball um, shortstop i will oh, i mean it's hard to go so old school to where it's tough to compare. So I'll, I'll keep it simple. Go Cal Ripken. And, hmm, that's well, third base. I'm going to have to get back to you on third base. And and then outfield's a little tricky too because I'm not 100% sure who played left field, who played center, who played right. Um,
0: Just give me three outfitters or four if you want to have in DH or something.
1: Okay, and I don't. I feel bad going first. I don't want to take all the good ones, but I'll <laughs> go. I mean, Hank Aaron's got to be on there. Willie Mays has to be on there. And finally, wrap it up. Well, let's go with, I guess. Nah, I can't say all those bad things about Barry Bonds and then still put him in my outfield. <laughs> oh, man. Ah, whatever, Barry Bonds.
0: Well, it must have been tough. Sorry.
1: And... Oh, yeah. Actually, I'll I'll leave it at that, Adam. I want to hear your I know your how list.
0: difficult it must have been to put Bonds in there, despite everything you said about him. But that takes guts. Maybe not Mike fires type guts. Yeah. It takes guts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I I certainly understand where we're getting at. And you do have a very valid point about it's very hard to go back way back when. So, like, the very early players, which I kind of did, I had... Johnny Bench's catcher, but well, that's not too way bad. Jimmy Fox at first, Hornsby at second, Wagner at short, Schmidt at third. Outfield was Aaron Mays, Bonds, and Rufus, DH. So, pretty similar. All great pits. I, I do have to disagree with you on Robinson, which is interesting. I, I understand how much Robinson had an effect on the game, and he is an icon, but... He had an eleven year career. It was very good, very Hall of Fame worthy. But I don't even know if he's a top 10 second baseman of all time, which might be very controversial.
1: Yeah, I mean you might be be right when you look at the numbers there. He's not a not a great power hitter. Did have some speed. Yeah, you know, I mean you gotta have some speed to steal home. Great average hitter. Career eight eight three OPS. I'm not sure where that would rank him all time among second baseman. I wouldn't be surprised if it is outside of the top ten. To be honest, Adam, I I was a little on the spot and I, I panicked. But you know what? I'm I'm sticking with Jackie, Jackie Robinson somewhere. If you're listening to this podcast, you just know that that I had your back when Adam tried to come at you and say you weren't top ten.
0: Well, we can agree to disagree there, but he certainly was a great player. And I did put you on the spot, and you still gave some great answers. And with that in mind, that is all the time we have for today in our extended Exit VLO podcast. So thank you for listening to me, your host, AJC. Otherwise known as Adam Kona Henry Winklehank. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of the day. And until next time, this is the Exit VLO podcast.